Thanks for downloading episode four of School Assembly. I'm Zoe Kaskamanidis. In this series, we follow Principal Ray Boyd and Associate Principal Rachel Lair as they navigate the exciting and challenging journey of building a new school community from the ground up. Each month, we touch base for updates and reflections on their progress as their new school, Dayton Primary School, is built in the newly developing suburb of Dayton, located in the eastern metropolitan city of Swan in Perth, Western Australia. Last month, we spoke to Ray and Rachel about all things planning. In this episode, we speak with Ray and Rachel about how they have connected with the community throughout the process of building up a new school. Let's jump in. Hi, Rachel and Ray. Hey, Zoe. How are you both? Going well. We yeah. are doing well. So you're both you're both in an office today or on the move? Yeah, we're at our office over at Brabham. So we've got lovely. Not on the road today. I've just come off a payday with Peter DeWitt um, around collective leadership efficacy. So, which meant an early start for us. So that started six thirty Perth time. So we had to get up the crack of dawn to get into work to do that as a team. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, it's great to speak to you both. I thought I'd start us off today by recapping a few things we talked about last episode, because it's been a huge month for you both. I've seen, you know, a lot going on through your social media accounts and you've chosen an out of school hours care provider, which is super exciting and that the school uniforms are underway. So I know we talked about that last time and I saw you had your first family visiting the uniform concept store last month. So congratulations on two pretty huge milestones. It's been a, it has been a big month, like you said. We've got lots going on and our timelines are all starting to um, spiral out of control a bit. They're, they're shortening for us. So only a few months till school opens. Yeah, and the other thing I wanted to mention too is that you had your fourth staff member join the team, so congratulations. And I noticed you've been announcing a number of new staff for 2023 as well, so it's pretty huge. Yeah, we put Lucinda on. She's doing an awesome job getting our early childhood structures in place. Um, she's in the middle of kindergarten interviews where her and Rachel are speaking to families at the moment, which is fantastic. Uh, and we've sort of got all our staff sorted now for next year, our starting five, as we call them. Um, and we're introducing them throughout the through the rest of this week and next week, just letting the community know who they are and a bit about them. And so we've got another big topic for this episode, and it feels like every month we do. <laughs> but yeah. this episode, we're going to look at connecting with community. And so this is something that's really stood out to me in everything you do from the very beginning. Um, but we finally find ourselves with a whole podcast to unpack it, which is great. And I want to begin by casting your minds back to when you first started promoting the school. So you were both printing out flyers and walking around Dayton, knocking on doors and handing them out yourselves. So why did you decide to do this in person? And what was it like meeting some of the families in Dayton for the first time? I guess there were four reasons for that. The first one was what you've already um, touched on. It was a chance to actually get out in the community, get a feel for the demographic um, and get an understanding of the development that's going on and the potential for future development. And as a result of that, Rachel and I worked out, you know, there's actually going to be a big growth later on next year um, as the as the land gets cleared and further developed. Uh, the second reason is to provide an opportunity for us to actually speak with people. And we met a few. I think Rachel actually spoke to more pet, more families than I did, uh, and also to promote the school that um, and what was what was coming and get them involved in it. 
uh, it allowed us really to get a better understanding of our intake area. So we could see when someone spoke to us on the phone, we had a, a rough schematic in our head of where they were based anyway. So it, it gave us a, a general feel for it. And probably the biggest reason is we didn't have any money. Oh, exactly. <laughs> right. So using our own um, leg power rather than getting it delivered was a lot cheaper of an option. Plus we got some exercise in there as well. So that was always an added bonus. I remember that video looked very nice and sunny, so <laughs> like yeah. you weren't walking around in a thunderstorm or anything. Um, but, yeah, so so when you met the families, what was that like? Can you tell me a little bit more about that experience? Well, I found that people were really excited that there was a school coming to Dayton. Uh, this, the suburb been, had been established for, I don't know, it's probably eight years eight or years so, ago, yeah. and not a lot has come to Dayton. Um, some of the families that have been coming in for kindy interviews have even said, you know, surrounding suburbs have got like supermarkets and schools and they've just had nothing. They have a mm. BWS, um, so a bottle shop, a Hungry Jacks and a service station in the whole suburb. So mm. they were just really excited to know that there was a school coming and that they had a chance to be part of something new. So I think overall um there was just a really positive feeling when we introduced ourselves and said that there was an opportunity for them to join our school and so back in april you held three community conversation cafes for families to meet and have a voice in the planning for a new school so how did you organize to promote these meetings and what kind of topics were open to discussion so i'd already spoken um to the principal here at brabham zoe annika blackmore and she said she'd used a a company called um, Creating Communities. And they basically facilitate conversations within communities and for shires around, around specific uh, topics. So I used them initially to get the message out that we were running um, a consultation process that would enable families, community members, people abroad who may like to have some input into what the school looked like, what we would deliver, the sorts of things that they were expecting. Um, and then we promoted it through Facebook, through LinkedIn, through Twitter. So we used our, our normal conduits, the, the easy one. But the, the biggest method for us, and it did cost us a bit, but it was probably worthwhile, was creating communities, contracted uh, a company to work out our intake area. And then they delivered, developed brochures and delivered brochures to every household within that area. Uh, so we we knew it was essentially what we did with our, our enrolment process, but it was prior to the enrolment. So we knew all our intake areas. We knew that posters had got out um, and that we knew that there was a really broad. I used emails too to, to notify people in the community uh, organisations who wanted to have a bit of a say and see what we were about. In terms of the topics, there were no topics off off the table. Par- parents, families could ask anything they wanted. And it was a because it, it was an opportunity for us, and I brought Rachel along to that just as a. Um, I think that was your first appointment. I wasn't, wasn't actually um, employed quite yet. I'd won the position, but I hadn't started working, so I just came along for that. I had an idea of what was going to be happening at school. One of the big things, though, that um, came out of that was around work around the name of the school. So that was um, a key strategy to find out what the um, preference for the school name was. So we used um, input from those as well as online surveys to find out um, what the families wanted. Yeah. And even look, independent public school was a topic we had to, had to discuss. We wanted to open as an independent public school. So that was something that we floated with the community at those cafes. We had a hundred odd people. Um, Rachel then later on went and developed a survey built on what we presented to the community to put it out again so we could even get more feedback. 
uh, and it gave us a chance also to to articulate what it was that families were buying into around our instructional framework so they knew exactly where we stood as a leadership team and what their children would be getting from the community or from the school within the community, I should say. And, Zoe, another thing we discussed there was the colours and possibilities for logos. Um, and a really good thing for us was that we'd um, developed a prospectus or I had done most of the work, but I had some input around colours and everyone that came along really liked that colour theme and that's something that's threaded now through to our current logo and um, all of the things that we've done with our uniform. So it was really good that the community came on board and loved what we'd proposed for that. So that was some of the really early work we did with the community then. It really stands out to me the way that from conception to finalising these things, there's been so many different modes of communication that you've really included in that process. Like you were saying, obviously, the community conversation cafes, a survey, social media. It's nice to have that quite broad way to reach out to people, I think, where you might be catching different people in different stages. And so let's look now to the steering committee, which, Rachel, you've mentioned in a past episode is comprised of some really great diverse voices from the community can you yes. tell me a bit more about the role of the committee, not only in terms of decision-making and planning, as we talked about in the past, but also in terms of informing engagement strategies at each stage? Yeah, so I think I mentioned this in the last um, episode, but we uh, got expressions of interest from those community cafes from families, um, and then I matched that list of interested family members with who had actually enrolled in the school because we obviously wanted to have parents on that that were going to be part of Dayton Primary School um, and then I just invited them along and so everyone was interested which was a bonus and we kept it really small. Ray always talks about if you want to slow something down create a committee so the smaller the committee in a, in a way but a small diverse committee um, is a good way to get things um, progressing. So we have quite a mixed little group of parents, but the things that we've taken to them, the very first thing was around the logo design and that was um, a, we spent a couple of hours together and we had Mark from Razor Eye come in and present all of the different options and then we, we looked at each one in detail and which what did they like, what don't they like, and then we actually sent Mark away with this is all of our thoughts and then he came together with what was the final logo design that we then presented to them again. So that was a really big thing that they had input into. And then the next thing was the uniform. It's something that, you know, their children have to wear it. We wanted them to be happy with it. We want them to be on board with buying it for their kids. We want every child in our school to um, feel a sense of belonging by being in the uniform. So another thing that they had a lot of input in in terms of the colours and what would be easy for washing and all, all of that kind of stuff was um, another big conversation. And the next conversations that have yet to happen, oh, no, we're sorry, I missed one. We had the out-of-school hours yeah. care conversation, which ended up being a more of an um, email and online communication. It's hard to get everyone in the room, but they were really happy with the choice that we'd already made around big childcare um, and supported us in that, and they were really pleased with that as a choice. So they're the three big things, and we've got some more things coming up. And that steering committee comes out of a, essentially a three-tiered process too, Zoe. Initially, I presented the prospectus that went to the community cafes and plus the surveys that went out through Facebook via Google Forms. So we had, we had 150, 200 people contribute to that. The steering group of five people then already had that 200-odd input. So we had an idea of what the community wanted. 
And then we were able to present that to Mark, who then brought that, that conceptual understanding back to the steering committee. And now we've only got five people working on a making a final decision, but they're using all that information that's already been given to us by everyone else. And the hardest bit about anything in this is we'll never reach consensus. So there was no way we'd get we'd get a happy consensus with 200 people, but five people are going to be able to reach a consensus a lot better. Uh, so that steering committee has enabled us to really channel down and grab everyone's thoughts and focus on one particular area and get some decisions made. And I, I was challenged by another principal on, oh, you know, you've only got five or six people in your steering committee. So, yeah, but hang on. They're working with information that's come from 200 people. So it's not like there's five people making a decision or six people making a decision. There's five people acting on behalf of 200 people. And also by having that smaller group, it gives everyone a bit more of an opportunity to have their voice and maybe feel more comfortable with being honest. But overall, that group of five have, have been very in agreement with each other and with us, so it's been a really cohesive group. And um, I, But I do feel that they would be comfortable enough to, to speak out if they didn't agree, so it's been a really great opportunity to work with the, this um, group of family members. Yeah, it sounds like they've been, you know, a really important part of a lot of the decision making, which which is great. Have you found out through communicating with the steering committee that there's certain forms of communication that work better for community in terms of, you know, whether emails or social media, seeing people in person, whether there's some forms of communication that are kind of easier for people to connect with you? We, we had a um, question about that in the original community cafes and what we found from that was that the parents liked a range of different um, communication methods and for different reasons um, you know something like seesaw for sharing things around what the kids are doing in the school but maybe emails for more formal things um, Facebook or similar social media platforms for sharing community things that are happening in the school and in, um, calendar invites. And so they, they had a different preference for different communications. And I mean, even text message for more urgent things like um, pick your kids up from school now kind of thing or making phone calls. So they did give us feedback. Um, but the steering committee We've worked within a range of communication methods too. Um, In-person is preferred for making those decisions, but like you can imagine, it's hard to get everyone available. So we've been using Zoom meetings or email chains and different things. So it's a, a really contextual thing mm. and it, no one thing is preferred above the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. That's great. I think, um, you know, it's very, it sounds very responsive to what works for people, which is always a good thing. And I did want to ask you both about the thought processes behind establishing an online presence through the website and on various social media platforms. You've both got such great humour and I love all the memes that you share and it feels very <laughs> relaxed and welcoming to visit your pages. So I wondered what your thought process has been in that regard for connecting with community through humour and social media. Well, look, I'm I'm really fortunate, Zoe, to have worked with Rachel before, um, and we we did a lot of work at West Beach Borough in developing communication platforms and and working out what does and doesn't work. We don't actually have a formal plan as such, other than me making sure Rachel's edited <laughs> my, my before they go out because my spelling's atrocious at times. So Rachel argued that she actually sends me a message after I've sent it out to say you need to fix this up yeah usually he's posted <laughs> it and I'm going quick go and edit <laughs> so that's our social media strategy but I think it's um, a little bit like what you said about 
making people feel comfortable. Um, we're a new school. We want people to be interested in coming along to our school. We need enrolments. We need students. We wanted um, really high-quality teachers, education assistants, all of our staff. So we want them to feel like they can connect with us. So through Facebook, Twitter, um, Ray does a lot more on LinkedIn, you know, just putting the message out there of what our school is going to be like, um, what's happening in the school, I think it just helps people feel connected to, to our vision and just keeping people up to date with what's happening. And I think um, the parents have really valued that. And, and understanding what Rachel discovered by, I don't know, whether by mistake or serendipity or another, when you attach a picture or an image to something, it gets more engagement. Uh, parents are more likely to look at it. So imagery is a really important one for us, but it, it's also utilising the various platforms. So I use LinkedIn a lot. It's more of a professional network, and I will then do a link with that to Twitter because Twitter doesn't give me the same capacity for putting information, so it channels people back to that. And then Rachel will take the LinkedIn um, information and then break that down again and make it suitable for going on Facebook. So it's it's more of a partnership without any language. It, it just happens. It's organic for one of a, I hate that word, but it's for one of a different. <laughs> and then I share the post again in Seesaw and that's a closed community and only our enrolled students and their families are within that. And that's something we'll be using on into next year when we open. So I'll share those similar posts. Like you, we have a new um, staff member, I'll put them in there. Um, and that way the Families know exactly what's happening. That some people aren't on Facebook, some people don't um, use social media. So I know that they know that we've got uniforms available now, and they can go and order them. So we've been using Seesaw, which is a digital portfolio tool mainly, but it's got a great communication section. So we've been using that to communicate with any families that have enrolled in the school as well. Mm, yeah. So I did. Um, I did want to ask a little bit more about that. So you've given me a good understanding of of what it is as an app and why you've decided to go with it. So is it, does it allow you to then sort of distill all of that information? Yeah, so it's also an app that I've used for many years. I became, I used it in the classroom as a science teacher and I became what was called a Seesaw ambassador and then a Seesaw certified educator. I did a lot of professional learning for other teachers around it. And I just found it wonderful for a number of reasons. The first one was um, primarily to share the, the students' work, um, any digital um, items that they'd created, videos, um, you know, things they'd created in other apps. They share it and it goes home to the families. You can put photos of what's happening in the school, videos, links to other things. So there's lots of ways to share the learning that's taking place. But behind that, as I mentioned, there's that communication, um, direct messing, direct messaging as well as announcements um so we used it in two ways in our previous school and that's how we'll use it again at Dayton and one is to send out whole school announcements about events things that the parents need to know what that's happening in the school but it also you can have um private communication um me messages with families or groups of families and um so it's just been really um, valuable because another thing is that it translates into 55 languages so it translates into the home language of the device that the um, families are using so with a lot of families speaking English as an additional language you know that it's being translated into something that they can understand so we love using Seesaw and I'm excited about um, going forward with it next year. And from an administrator's perspective it allows me to engage in the kids work as well I've as, a, as an administrator, I get to see the work. I can So parents can see that I'm actually 
participating and playing an active part in the kids in the school as well, which makes it just, again, it adds to that sense of belonging and that relate those relationships that we want to establish in the school. But for me, the primary thing I love about Seesaw is, is the ease with which both the kids and the parents can connect with it. There's no clunky logins. It's, it's a QR code. Once you're in, you're in. So there's other applications that we have used they're just too clunky. It's too hard for the kids to access and, and the parents have trouble with it. Whereas this one, it's on their phones. 99% of our parents we know have a phone. They don't have the same level with computers. So we've they've got their kids in their pocket, essentially. Mm, I was going to say it sounds like it's kind of better matched to how people do receive a lot of forms of communication these days on their phone, you know. So I think it's really seems like it's moving forward with those technological changes that we're seeing happening yeah. pretty rapidly. Hard ones, Zoe. There's some there's some platforms work, work really well on a computer, but they don't translate to a mobile phone and vice versa. We found this particular application, and there, I'm sure there's others out there as well, but this one works across both platforms really, really well. And so moving now to our monthly check-in, what yeah. has been your key learning, your biggest hurdle and proudest achievement over the past month? Well, we were just talking about this um, before we met with you, Zoe, about our biggest learning. So we've been, or our key learning, we've been um, participating in some webinar series with Peter DeWitt. Ray mentioned that earlier around collective leader efficacy, and he's given us food for thought and homework around our adaptive challenge, um, something that we, you know, want to focus on um over the coming months and so we looked at this in terms of our adaptive challenge in setting up a, a new school and getting all of our staff in alignment um, around our vision and our purpose and and um, for want of a better word on the same page so I, I guess our key learning is that we have a lot of work to do but it's important that we all are on the same page as a leadership team and then we're as our staff come on board as well. So we're all sort of rowing in the same direction, if that makes sense. And um, some Probably some of our biggest achievements that is that we've got the recruitment pools um, underway for our education assistance and special needs. So we'll be establishing that in a few weeks. Uh, we've got a Knowledge Society visit from the Catholic Education. They're coming through to chat with Rachel and I about how we've used our um, understandings from West Beachborough to create a new school. So... And we've got more family interviews. That, that's been quite joyful. Yeah, we've been doing kindy interviews and it's been so nice to have kids. <laughs> and, again, it's been months since I've stepped out of a school. And so having these um, little three- and four-year-olds come in with such joy has been really lovely. So we've been meeting the families and, and the children for our kindy classes for next year. So it's been wonderful. And one of the things we have to do very shortly is finalise our book lists, book lists and charges, because, again, bringing back our steering committee that's got to go through our steering committee who are essentially operating as a school board for us, a school council. Um, and then we've got to that to families for next year or this year for next year. And in line with that, our biggest hurdle, um, this is something we keep coming back to again and again, is around um, resourcing and um, the restrictive nature of finances in a new school. So <laughs> you can probably speak to that mm. more, right? Yeah, it's just, I mean, all schools are the same, but it's just trying to work. And I think I've mentioned this before. There's lots of things we need and want, but it's try, it's prioritising within those needs and wants. Um, and that that's the hardest bit for us. That's that's my MCS's biggest challenge is she knows what we want, but she keeps saying, well, you can't have both. You need to prioritise. So we've got lots of discussions going on in that space at the moment. 
Yeah. And so besides finalising the book list then and a few other things, what's next for you both in the coming weeks? Well, excitingly, we have another Lego serious play session coming up on um, the 12th of November with our education assistants that have been shortlisted. So we're excited to work with Joel Birch again on that. So that's just a replication of the teacher process with slightly different questions. But we loved doing that last session, so we're looking forward to that one. Um, We've got, um, as um, Ray's already mentioned, but some more kindy interviews coming along. And really just busy now, we've realised that we've got a very shortened timeline in terms of getting resources on board, uh, buying all the things we need for all the programs, um, literacy, numeracy, books, you know, everything, play equipment, sports equipment, art equipment, science equipment, we could go on all day. So we've suddenly (laughs) realised that there's a lot of things we need to get in and we've only just started with that because we don't have anywhere to put things as you can imagine we aren't in our school yet so we've held off on it but now it feels urgent we're meeting Mm. up with project departments project manager uh, peter robinson next week on the site again she has to have a look at the buildings and work through what's actually going to be available on the day for next year um, and do some contingencies around if timelines get pushed out how we're going to manage that so there's just a few things. We always knew the timeline was going to get short, um, but we didn't probably didn't realise the speed at which it would get shortened. It's looking like now when we when we get into the school that we'll only have about half of our buildings at the best case scenario. So, which is fine with our enrolment numbers, but if we don't get the four buildings we need, then it's going to be trying to accommodate classes in libraries and staff rooms and all sorts of um, things that will add to our stress levels if that's the case. So it's it's quite a, um, it's an unknown and it's out of our control. So you sort of have to try to stop losing sleep over things that you have no control over. Yeah, I hope it all comes together. And I know next episode, we were looking at talking about the physical build and the location so it sounds yep. like that's pretty good timing then it oh, it'll be. be perfect it'll be perfect time <laughs> and rachel said it rachel said it a couple of times it's we know it's out of our control but what we have to do is work out how we will manage what we do when if things do go pear-shaped what what mm. we can do to make sure that we're ready for that should it happen juggling yeah. elephants that's what we're good at <laughs> <laughs> it has been fantastic as always to talk to you lovely chatting to you again zoe That's all for this episode of School Assembly. Thanks for listening. Next time, we'll be chatting with Ray and Rachel about the physical build and location of the school site and the thinking that has gone into the design of the indoor and outdoor learning spaces. In the meantime, you can follow Ray and Rachel's socials for updates in between episodes by following the links at the podcast transcript over on our website, teachermagazine.com. Before you go, it would be great if you could take just a few moments to give a rating of our podcast if you're listening to this audio on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're listening on the Spotify app, just click the three dots, then rate show. And if you're on the Apple Podcasts app, you'll find the rating section by scrolling to the bottom of our podcast channel page. On Apple Podcasts, you're also able to leave a short review for us. Leaving us a rating or a review helps more people like you to find our podcast and is a really big support for our team.